Hi, it's dating coach Chris Luna from Craft Charisma. Welcome to the Craft Charisma podcast, our free audio coaching program where we interview the top experts in the world at helping you become the man you've always wanted to be. My guest today is Joe Navarro. Joe's an internationally recognized expert, consultant, author, and a very gifted lecturer in the interpretation of nonverbal behavior. Joe's been studying body language for the last 45 years, of which 25 were at the FBI catching spies. He's the author of several books, including Louder Than Words and the international bestseller, What Everybody Is Saying, and a fascinating new book called Dangerous Personalities, available on October 7th. Joe, I am so excited to have you on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Joe, when somebody's around somebody that they're attracted to, what are the first telltale signs? Well, you know, we know from a uh, from courtship behavior, what you call dating, that um, one of the things that we do when we're when we're interested is that we will do a uh, rather than a gaze, we do a scan, and that's quite different. A gaze is when we casually uh, sort of look over, and there's uh, there's no sort of potent uh, focus. Um, a scan is, uh, we, like you say, somebody walks into a, a bar and, uh, and literally scans up and down, head to toe, everybody that, uh, that they see. And it's a very quick way of, of assessing a room because we, we really only need uh, about a quarter of a second to uh, assess an individual, whether we like them or don't like them. And, and that's usually uh, what happens. Mm. I find this stuff absolutely fascinating. Joe, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about when somebody is scanning us or we're scanning somebody else, what are some of the things that we all assess for? Um, well, you know, that's a great question. First of all, much of our assessment of others is subconscious. It's not really at a conscious level. Um, so one of the things that, that we assess for uh, immediately, um, and, and, and in fact all mammals do, is is this person a threat to me? Uh, is there anything about this person that that uh, that is dangerous or, or, or could be a threat? The second thing we, we assess for, and... Uh, is uh, is health we look to see you know does this person look healthy um do do they uh um you you've probably noticed that if, if somebody has a uh a, a pimple or if they have some sort of skin disorder there's an a, an almost unnatural attraction to that well there's a biological basis for this and that we have always avoided um, individuals who presented uh, with with any kind of uh, uh, skin disorders and, and, and things like that. But we also look for grooming because grooming, um, just like, you know, birds groom themselves and the prettier the peacock, the, uh, the greater the chance of, uh, of passing on the genes. Um, we, uh, we, we look for beauty. We look for aesthetics. We look for symmetry. But we do this subconsciously, um, and we're very efficient and and uh, and quick, and we begin to do this at a very uh, very young age. So these are the things that we assess for, and uh, and obviously they they uh, they register uh, in our brains uh, very quickly. Joe, I know one of the things that you talk a lot about, and you've 
already begun to talk about it here is that a lot of these behaviors are incredibly ancient, especially as they relate to dating and sex and courtship. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about this for our listeners and maybe explain a little bit about kind of how some of these behaviors have become embedded into brain function and the brain's priorities. Sure. You know, I mean, obviously we, uh, you know, we, you know, procreation, the continuation of the species is, uh, is very important, but you can't achieve that unless you have safety first. And, uh, so the, the first priority that, that the brain has, the, the, the subconscious brain, the, and in particular, the limbic system of, of the brain and the, the amygdala hippocampus, uh, pretty much everything, um, in the subcortical area of the brain merely reacts to the world. It doesn't do any uh, really high order thinking. And, uh, and so when we view individuals, the, the first thing we assess for is, you know, is this person dangerous? Is this person healthy? And then what is the hierarchy of this person? Um, this is this we share with all primates and uh, uh, we're, we're very efficient at uh, at assessing for these things, and and you know, you, you put a room uh, full of individuals together, whether men and women, and and you can fairly quickly figure out who the alpha males are, um, and and that's part of uh, uh, of that. But then we have reactions that uh, that help to protect us, and and most of us have heard of the fight or flight, um, which actually is is uh, is wrong. Um, we actually uh, evolved to first freeze or hold very still, then flight, run, or just lean away, and then fight. And the reason for that is that mankind's number one predator has always been large felines, and large cats orient on movement. And so we learn to freeze to just stop and hold still. And that's why uh, sometimes you'll see somebody crossing the street and a car is coming really fast and, and they, they stop and you say, why didn't they move? Why did they just freeze there? Well, we, this is millions of years old. We evolved to freeze first because of uh, the necessity to do so with, uh, with uh, large predators and in particular uh, felines. And then, and then, of course, you know, we we distance ourselves, the flight response when somebody uh, says a joke that's uh, you know inappropriate or something, we lean away. Um, or you see somebody walk into a room that you don't like, and your your feet will literally uh, turn towards an exit or away from the person you don't like, even though you're making uh, facial uh, contact. That's because of our this this sort of social contract that we have that we sort of have to smile or at least give a fake smile, but your feet don't have any kind of contract. Your feet are responsible for your safety, and so you'll literally see somebody at a party greet somebody they don't like, but their feet will immediately uh, turn away. And of course, the last response is the uh, the fight response, and and most of us. Uh, 
usually just uh, avoid anything physical and we, we do things that are passive aggressive or arguments and, and so forth. Hmm. When you're talking about the person standing in front of a car and being hit, I had never thought of people doing that. But years ago, I had hit a fox on the highway in California. And I remember that it was like four or five in the morning. The sun was just becoming to come up and it was crossing the street. And I was going fast enough where there was a person in the other lane. And I thought, you know, there's nothing like I can't swerve into the next lane because I could kill a person. So I was like, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to have to kind of try to slow down, but I'm on the highway. So there's people behind me. And so I just realized that if this thing didn't move out of the way, I was going to end up hitting it and I didn't want to do it, but it was better than kind of me falling off a a cliff or hitting somebody else. And so um, I had never considered that humans might do the same thing. And so it was interesting for me to hear you say that and and kind of what the history is behind that, because I'm assuming Mm -hmm. that if that's the case, that some of these other animals, deer, coyotes, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, foxes probably were also hunted by kind of large cats. Sure. So that was kind of the connection that I made. And then the second thing that came to mind, there's other places where you see maybe someone has a dog that does certain things that they recognize. Or I remember I read Jane Goodall's books uh, a while back and I was astonished at how many similarities I felt like I saw between, not not just me, I guess the whole world uh, or anyone who's read her books kind of saw between chimpanzees and humans. I don't really know what the scope of your knowledge is on this, but can you talk a little bit about just some of the other kind of connections between our body language and animals? Well, sure. I mean, uh, you know, what one of the things that got me interested in nonverbals was um, the this this connection between what we share with with um, you know with uh, with with other uh, with other species. I mean, we are basically anywhere from ninety eight to ninety nine percent of our DNA is uh, is the same as uh, uh, chimpanzees and and so forth. And uh, Darwin, uh, everybody knows Darwin's theory of relativity. What they don't realize is Darwin wrote the first major treatise or book on body language. And he was looking at, you know, why is it, for instance, uh, that uh, these animals behave the same way as, as, uh, as we do? Um, you know, sometimes slightly different, but sometimes very similar. For instance, when uh, our palm up behavior, when we put our palms up and and uh, and say, "Please come join me," um, and you know, all primates uh, do the same behavior. In fact, uh, Jane Goodall's uh, first contact with a uh, with a wild um, gorilla. Um, she had uh, put her her palm out, and uh, and the gorilla reached out, and this was the first time of this sort of uh, uh, hand to hand contact between two uh, two, uh, two two species, and uh, this is how uh, primates reach out to each other, uh, not too dissimilar to uh, to uh, to what humans do. And um, and there's uh, any number of things, everything from hugging and uh, and uh, to you know sexual activity and, and so forth. So we share uh, many things in common, but in particular these uh, these reactions, um, the uh, freeze flight uh, fight response, which you know we were, you were talking about um, 
animals being caught in the headlights and freezing. Um, uh, but I've seen, uh, uh, in, in particular, there was a young girl in Sarasota that was uh, abducted by a man. And uh, when she's first confronted, you know, the question was, why didn't she run? And uh, what people didn't understand was, is that how powerful that freeze response was that, um, that has helped us uh, for, um, for millions of years. Uh, but obviously it doesn't help us when somebody's a few feet away and they're a predator or it's a car and it's going 80 miles an hour. Even when I'm coaching, like I've seen this. So I'm out at a bar, for example, or out in mm -hmm. some singles event, and I tell some guy to approach a woman that he's attracted to, and probably not a predator, but they freeze up and they, like literally, like their voice will become monotone. Uh, they will not not move. I mean, I've had situations where guys run, <laughs> but that's a whole other a whole other. Uh... Oh, yeah. But you you bring up something that's uh, that's interesting. You know, is when you uh, a lot of people are scared uh, when they first you know how to meet somebody, and they don't realize that the easiest thing to do is say, "Hi, my name is uh, Joe." And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous right now, but I, I'd, I'd like to meet you there. <laughs> that takes care of it. And so both parties begin to show behaviors of apprehension that as the, perhaps as the man approaches, um, you may see him um, moving his fingers against the, uh, the palm of his hand to calm down, or he's wiping his hands on his jacket. Um, the or he may, as he's uh, talking to the uh, to the woman, uh, touch his neck, which is indicative of some sort of psychological uh, discomfort. And at the same time, the the woman may be sitting there, um, not sure who this person is, and uh, and she may uh, all of a sudden, uh, if she's in a chair, maybe grasp the arms of the chair to to give her more control and to uh, and to uh, hang on to something, or she uh, or she may grab her own purse and put it in her lap uh, to give her what's called ventral uh, denial, uh, denying the person access to her. Uh, the, the weak front of our uh, of our bodies, but we do this in real time um, until we uh, you know we we establish uh, better connections, and uh, unfortunately uh, sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we stand too close to the person we're trying to meet for the first time, and we don't realize that violating space um, really causes us uh, to. Uh, to be very hesitant and to and to you know sort of struggle with this first introduction, where if you were just a few feet further apart, it it wouldn't be a struggle at all. Um, so you know, spatial distance is uh, is is a factor. I think that's really an important kind of idea to cons uh, to discuss because for somebody who, especially our listeners, they meet somebody that they want to move things intimate. Mm -hmm. with and maybe they don't have a lot of experience with this maybe they do and they're doing it wrong but how does somebody enter a person's space and navigate both space and touch yeah i mean that's a that's a great question so the first thing you have to realize is that our need for space is both cultural and personal so in latin america 
uh, in Puerto Rico, in Colombia, Cuba, Dominican Republic, uh, Mediterranean countries, um, you can stand closer to people and you can actually touch uh, appropriately uh, more often. So one of the things I, I, I tell folks is the first thing you do is be aware of spatial needs and you can watch somebody uh, even when, when they're in a club or, or, or at an event and just see how much space they need. But to be safe, the, the best thing you can always do is just stand a little bit further away when you do that initial introduction and just look for their reaction. If, um, if they want you to move closer, maybe they'll walk a little bit towards you. If, uh, if they're sitting down, um, you'll see the person relax. You'll see the shoulders uh, become more relaxed, the face will become more relaxed, and that's usually a good signal, okay? You, you can come in a little closer. The worst thing you can do is violate somebody's space or because you're in a bar or a club and there's a lot of people around that you feel like, well, you know, I should put my face, you know, seven inches, nine inches, ten inches away from her face. That's a big mistake because nobody likes their space uh, violated. And, in fact, it, it initiates the... Uh, the uh, the you know freeze flight fight response, which uh, sort of blocks all, a lot of information and makes us concentrate on okay how do I get away from this person how do I deal with them if they get any closer and so forth so you're cheating yourself of a great opportunity um, to uh, to communicate with someone when you when you violate space to the second question about touch. Touch is also very much cultural and personal. And there are cultures where uh, there, there is a lot of touching um, and, and others where uh, you just don't do it too much. For instance, um, in New York City, there's a lot more touching going on than, for instance, in Nebraska or Kansas, where there's a lot less going on. So you have to be mindful of, of, uh, of those things. And, um, and there's, you know, I myself, I, I mean, I like to hug, I like to touch, um, but I have to always remind myself, where is it appropriate, okay? Uh, forearm, um, you know, just slightly above the elbow, uh, but no further until, you know, the, the person has, uh, you know, acquiesced to uh, to any kind of further uh, uh, further contact. But even something as intimate as, uh, touching the hand or touching the the uh, the neck or the face, um, if if you do it without their approval ahead of time, um, that can really leave long term uh, negative connotations. Hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, uh, you know, anything that's negative, uh, whether it's, uh, so, you know, if you, if you asked a room full of people, have you ever had a bad handshake? I do this all the time. I've had, I've had rooms with 300 people. I've had room with 5,000 people. Everybody raises their hand. And you say, why, why would we remember this for such a long time? And we have to remember that anything that's negative, that impacts on us, it goes to that part of our brain 
that retains things for a very long time so that we don't have to learn every morning. We don't have to get up and learn that if you touch a hot stove, it's going to burn us. We learn at one time and it goes right into the hippocampus and it stays there. Well, things like this, like spatial violation, um, uh, touch that is, is, is not desired, that also goes there and it stays with us for a very, very long time. So um, if, you, if you move too quickly or if you act in a way that is, is not acceptable, um, that will stay with someone um, really for uh, upwards of 13, 14, 15 years. Dating coach Chris Luna here. This is the perfect time to take a quick break to talk to you about three simple things that you can do to dramatically change your life. First, listen to this entire podcast and then subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher. This way you'll immediately be notified every time we share a new release. If you listen and apply the ideas we discuss on these podcasts, it will change your life forever. Second, go to craftchristmas.com, create an account, and become a member of our community. There you can read articles, listen to podcasts, watch videos, ask us questions, and document your journey in our forums. Great men don't become great on their own. All great men are members of a community, and Craft Charisma is your community. Finally, if you're serious, and I know that you are, about making massive changes to your life as quickly as possible, check out our live coaching programs on our website. Craft Charisma live programs are the fastest way to improve your dating and social life. And who knows? Attend our live programs, let us get to know you, and you may end up as a member of the Craft Charisma team. Again, thank you for listening. Now back to the podcast. It's funny because I had heard this before and that had never... People say, oh, if you have a, a bad handshake, people remember it. And I had never uh, kind of really identified it with something specific. But as you were talking about that, I started thinking. And I think when people mentioned this before, I thought about like an limp handshake or something like that. But as you were talking right now, I thought about... Years ago, I remember I was uh, at some political event. I used to play around in politics and used to do campaign staff at like different levels. And I was with uh, an investor or not uh, with a donor. And I remember when he first introduced himself to me, he shook my hand and he squeezed it so hard that he was trying to, to smash it. And and other people, he would do this with other people and so, not other people. He'd do it with everybody. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, like, um, if you're trying to communicate power, the fact that you have $75 million more than me is enough <laughs> to establish, like, your authority. You don't really need to st- smash my hand. I thought it was kind of a weird, strange thing. And to this day, like, I, on a certain level, I still resent him for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you go online and just type in the word politicians with lousy handshakes, and you would be surprised at how many popular politicians have lousy handshakes. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, well, let me let me just, be, be, before I give you an example, let me just uh, say this. I mean, you people talk about the wet handshake or the limp handshake or, um, as, as you said, the, the hand-crushing handshake, and nobody really likes that. And, and, and then you have the, the people who maybe read in a book somewhere 
that uh, if you play hand jujitsu so that your hand is on top and the other person's hand is below, then that gives you some sort of uh, superiority and so forth. Uh, you know, this is all nonsense. This just leaves people with with uh, uh, with a, a very bad uh, uh, feelings. Um, or you have some, and it, it must be some secret handshake somewhere, where all of a sudden you feel this this finger probing the inside of your uh, wrist, going up your arm, and, and and it's it's really quite uncomfortable. And all these things, all these things, just register so negatively that you will immediately forget what this this person is saying. Uh, because of what we call limbic hijacking. And limbic hijacking is anything that is negative and emotionally negative hijacks our brain and concentrates that brain power on that negativity for our survival. And that's why when you're angry and upset, you can't remember what clever things to say, but 30 minutes later after it's over, then you, you know, you become Churchillian with all these clever lines you could have used. And you think, well, why couldn't I think of that then? It's because of limbic hijacking. Well, the same thing happens when, when you give somebody a bad handshake. For, for the next seven or eight minutes, that's all they're thinking about is, you know, how emotionally unintelligent this person is. And uh, and the and the bad uh, the bad vibes that uh, that that it it leaves, and and in particular one handshake that you must never do unless you're shaking hands with your grandmother is um, is the two-handed handshake, and that's where you cover the other person's hand with with both of yours. Um, and uh, if you go online, there's a lot of critique of uh, Hillary Clinton. Because she does that uh, two-handed handshake, uh, as many politicians do, and that's why it's called the politician's handshake. Um, and if you really, if you you feel like you you have to touch, you should just shake the hands. Your hand, your handshake should mirror their handshake, and then maybe touch on the uh, on the forearm. But uh, but don't do the two-handed cupped uh, handshake. That's just absolutely terrible. Interesting. One of the things that we'll talk a lot about in our coaching is what is your touch communicating? So, for example, everybody's had the experience where another guy walks up to him and slaps him really hard on the back, and, and the intent is to communicate dominance, right? Yeah, or yeah. I told you the story of the, the vice grip political donor. Or mm -hmm. it could be a woman who's trying to overcompensate for the fact that she's in a business environment and she's trying to be physically more aggressive. I, like I noticed this, especially with uh, kind of women who are um, like more middle-aged, right? And so it was a little bit more difficult to move into the business world uh, 25, 30 years ago than it mm -hmm. is today. And so they took on, in certain cases, kind of more masculine like a very masculine, I'm not going to say more masculine, like overly masculine. It's not even overly masculine. It's overly dominant kind of behaviors, um, which are often associated with with masculinity. But even if a, a guy does it, that's why I'm correcting myself. It's still idiotic. <laughs> it's irritating. Uh -huh. So what, what type of things should somebody be communicating with? Uh, touch when uh, when they shake a hand or touch a shoulder. We, we know that uh, touch is powerful. Uh, we know it's essential for good health. Uh, one of the, I mean, in hospitals, they actually hire nurses to 
touch and caress uh, premature babies. That they absolutely need it to survive. Uh, it helps our immune system. Uh, it helps the elderly as they get older. The more touch they have, whether it's with humans uh, or with pets, uh, it increases longevity. So touch is critical when we touch people in the proper way. It releases uh, oxytocin, which is a, a, a hormone that uh, permits and allows for cohesiveness and for um, bonding. Um, but it all depends on how it's done. If it's done with the, the full palm with warm hands, it feels very much different than when we touch people with fingertips. One of the things that we look for when, when people are breaking up in a relationship is that they've stopped touching each other with the full palm, the palmer surface of the hand, and now they're touching each other with fingertips. That's one of the first clues of distancing that, that lets us know this is headed south. The, uh, the other thing we, we, we look for is, you know, is it, is it a, a, uh, a, a nice soft touch? Or is it a slap? Uh, slapping, um, you know, touching by, by slapping, um, you know, that's okay with a football team, uh, but not uh, really with somebody that you care about. There we look for the, you know, longer term, uh, you know, touching, massaging, uh, caressing uh, uh, type things. We know from the research that a lighter touch um, actually uh, excites the brain more than uh, you know than 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 a heartier like uh, slap, um, you know. And I, over the years, I, I you know I've had uh, you know I mean there's no other way to describe them other than social aardvarks. Um, these individuals who have absolutely no social intelligence, I, I've had them slap me as they come in. And I just turned around and, and I said, don't do that. Yeah. And it, it just floors them. Um, number one, they're not entitled to do it. And number two, I don't recommend they do it twice to me. So, you know, it, at, at some point you have to just let people know, you know, that's just uh, not acceptable. But you also see, you know, people who are pretending to like you. Uh, and uh, they'll they'll tap you on the shoulder, but you notice that it's with fingertips. And you can try this experiment. Have somebody close their eyes and, and just place your hand, nice cupped hand on the shoulder, see how that feels, and then just tap somebody with their fingertips. And almost invariably, and I've, I've done this now in 27 countries, people always go, ooh, when they're touched with fingertips. And yet, think of how many bosses walk by and say, oh, James, you're doing a really good job, and they, they tap you that way. And it just makes you uh, real from the, uh, from, uh, from, from the experience. I find it interesting that you said that because we do well, we actually teach handshakes in our coaching. Mm -hmm. Very frequently I'll, I'll talk about it because I use it as in the context that I talk about different relationship types, right? So strangers we don't touch, uh, acquaintances we tend to shake hands, friends we touch, the way that we normally associate a physical contact with friends, yeah. you give them a high five, put your arm around them. But mm -hmm. when I teach touch as an acquaintance, we'll talk about 
the I'll make people do the, the extremes on both sides in the middle. So the extreme one, if you slap somebody, how does that feel? Uh, get feedback from your partner. How does it feel when they do that to you? Mm-hmm. What, what happens when you touch somebody with only your fingertips versus what you described is extending the palm, for example, on the shoulder. And the way that I try to communicate it is you're trying to communicate mm-hmm. that your touch is comfortable and secure is the, the way that I kind of usually describe it. But I think it's really interesting to hear this from another perspective because from my my perspective it's just like this is all stuff i learned by interacting with people thousands of times and watching as you described the tension in their shoulders the shifts in their breathing whether or not they kind of step in or pull back minute changes in their facial expressions Mm -hmm. but yeah you know but touch is is also based on um on things such as hierarchy for instance the person who is socially or or uh, within an organization is of a higher status uh, usually is entitled to uh, to touch more than uh, than an, than an inferior um, and um, you know you were talking about shaking hands and people think oh it's the the, sh- the shaking of the hands is uh, is just that and they forget that the shaking uh, uh, of the hands, there's a constellation of behaviors that are associated with greetings, that it's not just shaking hands, that it's uh, the making of the contact, that it's the lowering of the voice, not the, the lower your voice, the more people will want to spend time with you. The higher your voice, the less people will want to spend time with you. And then it's also making sure that you don't stand directly in front of the person once you've shaken hands, that once you've shaken hands that you take a step off to the side so you're angled because that also guarantees face time. The more face-to-face direct contact you have, the less time you will have that with that person. So there's a, a constellation of behaviors that contribute to, um, to greetings. And, of course, there's greetings that are momentary and sort of uh, ephemeral they're they're just they're, it's not going to go anywhere and then there's those that you want to last a long time and uh, and so we have to be uh, mindful of uh, what it is that we want to achieve this is absolutely awesome you mentioned the touching of uh, the thumbs to the insides of the palms the feet moving away but what what are some of the other ways that our thumbs our feet even our eyelids reveal things about our moods and motives yeah, so when we feel very positive, uh, you know, we have to keep a, an eye on the whole body, not just the face or, you know, because when we feel positive uh, about somebody, you know, our facial muscles relax, the pupils tend to dilate more so that more light comes in. Um, we also do more head tilting which uh, exposes our necks. So uh, once again, this is very ancient behavior that communicates, hey, I, I have nothing to fear. So, um, so there's uh, the head tilt, which is also very powerful when we shake hands. Um, but we're also looking at, um, you know, at, at the body. You know, you're talking about the thumbs. Well, we tend to, you know, dogs uh, retract or uh, uh, collapse their ears. Well, we humans collapse our thumbs. So when we're under stress, when we don't like people, when we are anxious, 
we tend to hold the thumbs closer to the index finger. As we begin to feel more comfortable with a person, then our thumbs begin to separate and the space between the fingers separate. So be, we gain greater uh, uh, territory. Um, we also do more um, touching or handling of objects. Um, the minute we fear something, we tend to grab objects. So we'll grab a purse. Uh, a man may grab a, a, a glass or something he's drinking or grab the chair. But as soon as he's comfortable, they relax. And then our feet tend to orient towards a person when we like them and, uh, you know, away when we don't. So all these, all these behaviors are constantly communicating and you can you can start out where both of both of you are very comfortable but the minute a subject is introduced that makes any partner uh, what we call a dyad two individuals any one of them uncomfortable for instance you can go from head tilt to um, uh, the person's neck becomes erect. So you're talking to somebody and, and you're talking and they say, oh, and what political party you're from? And you say, well, I belong to the uh, XYZ uh, political party. And all of a sudden their neck stiffens up. Boom. That's a discomfort display. Uh, they, they might as well shout, uh, <laughs> I really don't believe in that party. Um, and so you, you, you have to, you know, look for little things like that or the uh, sudden squinting or the compressing of the lips that say, oh, there's an issue here and, and, and so forth. So communication is both reflexive and, um, and, um, and it changes uh, by the second. Uh, it can it can go from good to bad uh, very quickly. Mm. It's funny because this is not one of the questions that I was thinking prior to this, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about smiling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, obviously smiling is huge. It's it's uh, it's very powerful. Um, you know, going back to the 1920s and 30s, uh, we have books uh, Dale Carnegie talking about a smile. But um, and and we can and we have real smiles and we have false smiles. You know we have the you know the you know somebody says to you put on a party face and 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 so forth. And the the true smiles are very relaxed. They engage the eyes and uh, and they tend to be more uh, more authentic looking. The fake smiles are, are tense and and so forth. But. What people forget is that more powerful than um, than even the smile is uh, is the head tilting. Uh, if you really want to make somebody feel like you're really engaged and interested in them and uh, and um, and your focus on them, just tilt your head. Uh, way more powerful than a smile. We know that at about three weeks of age, babies are already responding to. Uh, head tilt as a uh, as a powerful indicator of of, uh, of of you know recognizing that they're with someone they really like, um, and it stays with us all our lives. When you're talking about head tilting, like I mean, I'm, as I'm do, listening to you, I'm playing with different head tilts, uh, different tilts of my head, and yeah. trying to think about how I would feel if somebody had that tilted their head in that way. Um, or what I would be feeling if 
somebody was talking to me and I tilted my head in that way. So, um, and, I, and it occurred to me that there's all these different ways that I could tilt my head and different things that I could communicate. So, should be somebody be tilting their head down to the side? Should their ear be exposed? Yeah, it's yeah, no, it's 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 just uh, it's just a, a canting to the left or the right. It's like if I said to you, uh, look like you're listening to me and you're receptive to what I'm saying. You would just cant your your baby your head slightly to to the side. It's uh, you know you're not laying your your cheek on your on your shoulder. Uh, the easiest way to see it is hand the baby to a, a person and watch how they tilt their neck immediately, tilt their head. That's that's what you want to achieve. And by just um, tilting your head slightly. Uh, you're you're paying more attention. This, by the way, is uh, the, the posture that you should have when if you're with a loved one and there's arguing to calm things down. You want to uh, you want to tilt your head. You don't want to look like a drill instructor. And this often happens, you know, between men and women. The the man immediately puts his hands on his hips, arms akimbo, elbows out. And his neck, he looks like a drill instructor when really what you should be doing is taking a step back, angling, and, you, and tilting your head slightly, which indicates I'm, re I'm receiving the message, I'm listening, and I'm focusing on you, and I'm doing it without an agenda. And, uh, and, that's, and that is really powerful. Mm, that's absolutely awesome. And, and and more powerful than calm down, listen to, or I'm listening to you. Don't say that. Just demonstrate it. We have a we have a huge. Our visual cortex is about the size of a small fist, and and people always want to fill things with words when what we ought to do is be filling it with images. It's funny because we're doing this via the internet and you're talking to me i can't see you but even as while you were describing this stuff i noticed and i have a headset on so i can't see you i have a headset on and i noticed that my neck and my head is tilted towards you like i'm listening to you yeah. as if we were having a conversation you're standing across from me so i found that kind of yeah. fascinating. and and here's what's interesting if i were to lower my voice as i'm doing now you'd probably tilt your head even more yeah. So, so just uh, you know, the voice is a nonverbal. It it can communicate warmth, and it can also uh, get people to uh, to calm down. Do you want to talk a little bit about voice? Like, uh, I mean, because there's so many elements, right? Pitch, tonality, inflection, uh, rate of speech. Well, yeah, the I mean, some of the basics. Uh, obviously, the the, the uh, we can listen to things faster than we normally do. Uh, but we prefer uh, the, the calming effect of a nice, uh, soft voice. There's uh, the, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher. Uh, this is especially important for, for women. Uh, women with high-pitched voices, um, you know, you're always going to be rated lower, uh, as men with high-pitched voices than if you have a lower voice. And uh, uh, as Margaret Thatcher found out, uh, some of her uh, political enemies used to say that they feared for migrating birds anytime she spoke and uh, because her, her pitch was so high. And so she actually worked on, um, you know, lowering, having a, a, a low tone of voice, uh, which uh, garners actually greater attention than a higher pitched uh, 
uh, voice. You know, uh, Lauren McCall or um, Lauren Bacall just passed away, and uh, and one of the great attributes of her was that low voice. That uh, the minute she spoke, you paid attention. You just could not turn away when she spoke, and um, that's the benefit of it. And, and it applies both to men and women. We think that if we raise our voice or shout that it gets greater attention. If you're giving presentations or if you're a public speaker, if you want people's attention, just lower your voice. It's funny that you said that because I remember uh, watching an interview with Daniel Day-Lewis and he was talking about his preparation for Lincoln. And for anyone who knows anything about Daniel Day-Lewis, he, I mean, for, for people who are interested in acting or who have done acting, he's one of the greatest actors of our time. And he spent years preparing for Lincoln. And he, as he's in a position to do for every one of his roles at this point, mm-hmm. he does only does one role every few years and then wins an Academy Award. <laughs> but he, uh, he was saying that he had to figure out, because there's no recordings of Lincoln, so he had to figure out what was his voice. And the instinct is to do what you kind of described, have the, a loud, dominating voice. Mm-hmm. But instead, he decided to have a slower, quieter voice because it carried mm-hmm. further. Yeah. And, uh, and, and even uh, uh, at times, it was a, a little higher pitched uh, than normal, except for when he wanted to make a point. And, uh, and so that's something also to, uh, to, uh, to keep in mind. But... I mean, we we react to people that are in front of us. I mean, we we react to their emotion, we react to their blink rate, to their breathing, um, and so forth. And um, you know, when we are uh, in synchrony with them, uh, then we're in true harmony. And uh, that's why oftentimes you'll see two lovers at a cafe. I, I was just in Paris uh, earlier in the year. And uh, you, you see this at the cafe. You'll see people uh, staring into each other, and their uh, their bodies are echoing each other almost perfectly. One reaches for a for a coffee. The other one reaches for a coffee. They're both tilting their heads and so forth. And you know, you don't think about uh, mirroring or or body echoing, but this demonstrates uh, that uh, that we're in harmony and. Uh, and, you know, s- speaking at a lower rate actually contributes to, um, to, um, to, to harmony uh, when, when it's appropriate. Well, to make me assume that people, uh, to mirror you, will start to slow down their speech and that will cause them to relax is my assumption. It depends. You know, I, you know one of the things that I learned over time to, when I wanted people to pay attention to me is I would mirror them. And uh, and in time, you sort of both get into uh, into uh, into synchrony. You certainly have less objections to someone that you don't know if uh, if they're mirroring um, uh, a lot of your own uh, a lot of your own behaviors. Um, I mean, think about you know you live in New York, going into a New York deli. And uh, and how quickly people are supposed to order the food there, and uh, and if you come in and and you're you know just taking your time and talking very slowly, it just you know that's just not a, a good mix. So sometimes you have to you have to chameleon like uh, match the the uh, the environment 
just so that uh, you'll fit in better. We'll often tell people when they enter the environment, especially if they want to lead somebody's emotions, because as we talked about, people make decisions on whether they're going to interact with somebody based on how they feel. And so we'll tell them that they should come in with about a slightly higher energy, about the same energy, and, and then maybe raise it slightly. Um, because it allows them to lead the emotional, uh, the the emotions of the other person up. Well, you can, yeah. I mean, th- there's certain strategies. Uh, for instance, I know when when I was uh, uh, working on my EMT license, and I was at the uh, Roosevelt Roads Naval Hospital in Puerto Rico, I had a young doctor there tell me. You know, whatever you do, don't tell somebody to calm down. It says, you know, they're coming in and they're stressed and they're hyperventilating. What you do is you match it. And I go, what? And he says, yeah. It's just, you know, they're hyper. Now you sort of match that. Breathe heavy as they're doing. But then, you know, we humans are looking for homeostasis. And the person that provides homeostasis wins. And so at some point, he said, then you just exhale with a large cathartic exhale, and then they begin to mirror you. And then as you calm down, you actually will make them calm down without saying anything. And it works. Mm. I mean, this conversation is absolutely incredible. I'm kind of running low on time. I definitely want to get you back uh, to talk about some of these things, because even whether it's mirroring, uh, you walk into a, a bar or restaurant, uh, some event, and you see people mirroring each other, uh, mm-hmm. friends moving away and coming back and having picked up an accent, uh, having um, having uh, like approaching somebody who is standing against a wall and, and watching them as they start to forget the things that they're saying because they're essentially locked like an animal against a wall and can't escape. There's like so many th- ideas that are kind of flowing through my my brain is we're having this conversation and it's absolutely, I think it's absolutely incredible. Are, are, are there any kind of last kind of recommendations, tips, ideas, words of wisdom uh, for the people who are listening who want to have better body language, learn to read body language better, um, kind of master, which is such a massive component of yeah. communication? Well, you, you nailed it. Uh, nonverbals is that massive component of communication. It's not about words. It's, it's about everything that we do that communicates a message, a thought, an idea, or a sentiment, but is not a word. And when you think of that, Boy, that's like 90% of communication interpersonally is is nonverbal. The better we do it, the better we understand it, the more effective we'll be, the more empathetic we'll be, the more caring we'll be. And, uh, and you know, the other thing is people will want to be with us. They'll want to be with us because they understand that we get it and, uh, and we respond um in, in the most effective way, which is really uh, non-verbally. Mm. Joe, this has been incredible. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And if you're listening, you want to learn more about Joe, uh, I'm going to post some links to uh, to him, his social media, uh, his books within uh, the Craft Christmas website and the description of this podcast so that you can find out about him more easily. You have to read his books. They're absolutely awesome, and I can't wait to to see the next one, Dangerous Personalities. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. It's dating coach Chris Lona here. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And we absolutely love making this podcast. We make this podcast for you. So if there's somebody that you want on the show, let me know. I will yell, scream, stand in front of their house, do everything I do to get them on the show for you. Also, don't hesitate to follow the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. You can also give us a shout out through social media, Facebook, Twitter, share it with your friends. And lastly, go to the Craft Christmas website and create an account. There you can talk about the podcast and kind of communicate with me directly. So thank you again for taking time to listen. You will hear again from me soon.